do Baby Shark and Hong Kong legend Aaron Kwok both have in common? Besides being influential figures, they're both part of local NGO EcoDrive's campaigns to mobilize the public and environmental protection efforts. As much as we hear about plastic pollution, it's so hard to consistently prioritize this matter over the sheer convenience it brings us. This is why EcoDrive leads the local movement in making sure plastic pollution is always kept on top of our heads. From educational events for schools and corporates to hosting citywide design competitions, one thing is for sure. EcoDrive knows how to tactically garner public awareness through creative and engaging campaigns. Established by a team of diverse professionals and passionate mothers who want to make Hong Kong a better place for their children, EcoDrive is undoubtedly one of the front runners of environmental stewardship. Hello and welcome to season two of Sustainapod, a youth-led podcast for the youth and anyone passionate about issues related to sustainability in Asia. My name is Katya and today I'll be hosting this episode with my co-host Justin. Today we're so lucky to have Jennifer Wang Fang, the co-founder and the director of education and community outreach at EcoDrive. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us today. So first and foremost, um, do you mind telling us more about EcoDrive and what kinds of projects do you do and what is your role in this organization? Sure. Uh, well, thank you so much for having me here today and hello to Sustainapod listeners. Um, at EcoDrive, our mission is to create behavioral change around single-use plastics. We're all volunteers and we're passionate about making a difference that will affect future generations. We're able to do so many meaningful and impactful projects because our strength is in our passion and collaborative efforts. We've structured our initiatives around working with corporates, education and community and PR public campaigns. My role is in education and community. So we create educational content for use in schools, community campaigns and special projects. So what are your main motivations for joining this and leading this initiative? So my main motivation and the same motivation that I share with all of my fellow co-founders is we simply want to make a better earth for our kids. So Hong Kong is such a beautiful city that people have become really complacent about the pollution that surrounds them. Until I joined EcoDrive myself, I didn't even stop to notice garbage bins overflowing with garbage, recycling bins stuffed with non-plastic waste like paper, food, drinks, diapers, dog poo. Um, sewage drains clogged with garbage, beaches filled with broken pieces of plastic, hiking trails littered as if people just threw down on the floor whatever they used whenever they finished using it. People simply don't feel responsible for their waste and they don't stop to think about where that waste will wind up and the subsequent consequences of their actions. What's a really big statistic that really motivates you to like continue your work? Statistics wise, there's so many uh, related to single-use plastics. Um, I'll give you a few. For example, there are studies that have tested uh, bottled water brands. 90% of them tested to contain microplastics in the water. 100% of shellfish do contain microplastics. 100% of baby sea turtles have plastics in their stomachs. Over 1 million seabirds and animals are killed every year due to plastics. Only 9% of the world's plastic gets recycled. Hong Kong throws away over 6 million plastic bottles every single day, and only 6% is recycled. But I think one simple statistics is every single piece of plastic that's ever been created or produced still exists on the earth today. Plastic consumption and pollution is affecting climate change, 
I think the real reason people don't even realize that single-use plastic pollution is such an imminent threat is because they can't see or make an immediate connection to the dangers that it's causing on the earth. Yeah, I totally understand what you mean. Like, I think one of the biggest problems about climate communication or like any communication about ecological crises is like the fact that it's not visual, it's not in front of you. And I think there's like some study that shows if carbon dioxide were like black and like it was so visible to everyone, this problem would have been solved like years ago. So yeah, Uh it's just very difficult things about environmental advocacy. A little break here now. As you're here listening to this podcast, you're definitely interested in learning more or even taking action to combat climate change in any way. At which point in your life did you realize climate change was real and what were the signs that pointed you to making an impact? EcoDrive's incredible work. Have you seen any like tangible impact in our local or like wider communities? Like have you seen any behavioral changes, mindset changes, or like even changes within cultural perceptions over the years regarding Hong Kong's plastic consumption? Globally, but even in Hong Kong, what we've noticed in the past few years, that being green or being eco is actually cool. Over the past few years, a lot of FMD has switched to non-plastic alternatives and um, or offer discounts for bring your own. Restaurants that use metal glass or paper straws are actually more hip restaurants um, or more cool bars. Schools, offices, malls are installing more water refill stations. There are hotels that offer glass pitchers and refillable water stations. They're like the more, you know, fancy hotels. They offer more high-end toiletries in their bathrooms that even though they may be, you know, attached onto the wall in the shower or the bathroom, they're actually better quality than those little cheap toiletry samples that are given. So lots of people are moving towards the direction and it's actually more cool and more high-end to do to be eco, to be um green mm-hmm. yeah sure so following on that I, pr- I kind of have a personal question for you oftentimes if you go to a restaurant there are like leftovers right do you think it's okay to like maybe use single use plastic for one time and then just have no leftovers or just to like leave those alone or do you think it's better to try to educate people to bring like a small container if they think they're going to order more in the first place well, the, the first key thing is, um, you know, nobody wants leftovers too, because that's also another um, sustainability topic about food waste. So it's also uncool to leave a bunch of leftovers at the restaurant. Don't let anyone judge you for wanting to take, the, take it home. Um, I always bring my own container with me when I go out. I can understand, or there's at least there's one in my car that I can walk back to to get. I can't expect everyone to remember to always bring that. But I think when I do do that, and people see, um, even people I'm not dining with, people next to me, that I actually catch them looking at me um, and thinking, hmm, let's bring that. You know, they, they actually make comments to each other. Oh, let's bring our container next time. In the event that I don't have my own container um, and there is a significant amount of greasy or wet food, I will take that plastic one from the restaurant. Um, But I'll reuse that container over and over again to store food at home, to buy food at the market, to buy bread, um, you know, until I can't use it anymore and put it in recycling. But you can also think creatively for alternative solutions if you forget your container. You can ask the leftover to be wrapped in foil or if it's like a bread or a sandwich, um, you can ask them if they have a paper bag. And actually, lots of restaurants do have these options. You just need to ask for it. Um, so number one, yes, I would 
definitely encourage everybody to keep um, some kind of container with them if they know they're going out to eat. And for sure, if you're ordering takeout, you know, bring your own container, tell them that you don't need the utensils because they automatically put it in. The other step is actually the vendor, the, the FMB provider, if they can provide containers that are non-plastic, though this is an expensive option. I definitely see more and more places that are moving towards this option because they're starting to feel responsible as well for the plastic waste that they're creating. Going on a slight tangent, do you think it's plausible to like make an app or anything that tracks maybe restaurants that have a track record of uh, like having more sustainable uh, like utensils? Do you think that's um, possible? Well, we, yeah, it definitely is possible. Um, well, one of our, our, our corporate groups that I mentioned, they um, host roundtables. And the roundtables are divided into different sectors. And one is um, like law, one is finance, and one of them is actually FMB. So when we host those roundtables, it's like the largest, you know, chains or the largest corporations in Hong Kong. And, you know, they're managing their they're top level executives join these round quarterly roundtables. And we come together and we discuss how can we collectively, you know, try to make better choices and decisions and improve our operations. One of the things that resulted from the FMB roundtable was that they actually invited Deliveroo and Food Panda to join one of the roundtables. And they were telling them that they have way too much plastic waste. So as a result of that roundtable, they actually on their app now ask you, do you need utensils? And you can set it in your, I think you can set it in your settings automatically that you don't want utensils every time. So, um, you know, the next step, um, on how they can even do more to reduce is to have some type of um, notation on which restaurants provide um, non-plastic takeaway containers and utensils. So some people might want to click on, oh, what are the green restaurants? But that, that's going to take some time to collect the data. Um, and Open Rice, we're also talking to them about that as well. So, I mean, there's just so many restaurants in Hong Kong, but it's definitely a topic that's being discussed already on having that option on the apps. I think there's also another app. I think it was made by NTR and um, it's called Carbon Wallet. Have you heard of yeah. it? Yeah, they yeah. actually consulted us on it. Um, we're part of that. I just wanted to link back to what you said um, in the question before about making the right choices and like, you know, those um, supermarkets like Lib Zero or um, Slowwood. Do you think there's an idea of privilege that's linked to not using disposable materials just because, you know, some products that may not be packaged tend to be a more high quality and hence inaccessible to different communities? Yeah, I think because Live Zero and Slowwood and Edgar and those kind of shops, they look very fancy and nice, but actually they've done the costing and to buy the same exact thing, but buying it at Live Zero is actually cheaper than buying at the supermarket for the same dishwashing detergent because they're bulk. On the surface, it might seem like their prices are ex expensive, but if you actually do the calculation, it's cheaper to buy in bulk. And when you talk about privilege, um, I mean, you don't have to buy things at the fancy bulk stores. We tell people, even when you go to the supermarket, you have a choice. You can buy a pack of Oreos that are individually packed with only three Oreos inside, or you can buy the pack that is once you open it, there's 50 inside. 
not only is it cheaper, but that is the less waste option. So we always tell people to buy the party bag size of chips instead of the tiny individual size that moms love buying for little kids. Um, so I don't think it has anything to do about privilege. Even reusing a plastic box that you have or, or water bottle, if you have it, just keep reusing everything you have. Being eco doesn't mean buying eco things. Being, being eco is about making choices that are sustainable. Regardless, it's not about the price. It's not about spending and buying really nice looking um, tote bags or a, you know, like a really nice bubble tea cup or um, a nice swell water bottle. Or now they have those really expensive ones that have the filter inside. That's not what being eco and green is about, or that's not what we you know, tell people. Even for bread bags, they sell really fancy cloth bread bags out there. In our presentations, we tell people to take out a shoe bag that you have. You know, when you buy shoes, it comes with a little, a lot of them come with a cloth. Just wash it and use it as a bread bag. You don't need to go out and spend money and buy bags. Like I don't even buy Ziploc bags at the supermarket. I actually, when I buy cheese or seaweed or grapes, they all come in a plastic bag with a little zipper, resealable zipper thing. I wash my bags and reuse those things as my own Ziploc bags at home. So yeah, being eco is not about spending more money. Okay, I really like that concept because I think a lot of people are misconstrued into the thinking that maybe just being eco means like uh, following the trend. But I saw yeah. on your website that there's this app called My Impact. Could you try to elaborate on that? Because I think, I think personally it's pretty cool. Yeah, that is a new app we, we created this year during the Enough Plastics campaign. And it's because um, it was actually in response to corporates that supported our campaign and they wanted something to help their employees track their plastic um, reduction efforts. So, um, and we, because you know companies, they all need, um, they all have uh, ESG and CSR. So they are actively finding ways to help their employees or help their company be more sustainable. And this way it documents it and you know has numbers to be able to track how well they're doing. And I think um, more and more companies are signing on to this. Um, for example, one law firm that we worked with very, very early on, they only made one change after our presentation at first, one simple change, because our whole motto, which is what we tell everybody, the name of our film is start small, start now. What they did was the law firm basically gave all of their clients bottled water every time there's a meeting. And you can imagine how many meetings them have. Just by installing a water filter in their pantry and filling up glass water pitchers in, um, for their meetings, they saved 1 million water bottles in one year. You know, at that time we didn't have the app, but these are great numbers for companies and for people to see, wow, one little change made such a huge impact, you know, and then after subsequently, then they started making other changes. You know, they, in their pantry, they used to have tons of snacks and stuff because lawyers always work overtime. Um, they changed everything to glass jars with the cookies and nuts and chocolates filled inside the jars instead of individually packed. Um, they started talking to their caterers, how they can have less plastic when they deliver their lunches. All of these things now we have an app can now be tracked and can be um, shared 
with other companies on different solutions that they can uh, make in order to reduce plastics in their firm. That's awesome. Even though plastic waste is a humongous issue, I do think that in Hong Kong, there are definitely many green organizations locally based that target denouncing plastic waste and like eliminating single-use materials from our waste stream. So what makes EcoDrive different from these local environmental organizations? And why have you chosen to invest your resources, effort, and time into this particular mode of advocacy? Well, all of us at EcoDrive recognize that plastic is actually an amazing invention. Um, We understand that we have to live with plastic. It's not going to go away. But we have to change the way that we humans use plastic. It's the way we you know, misuse it that has become the problem. EcoDrive is different than I think uh, you know, some other NGOs is because our approach is to be able to encourage people to take small steps and applaud them for any reduction effort they can make, no matter how big or small. Hence our motto being start small, start now. You, know, you don't have to make huge changes do one thing, one step at a time, but you got to do something now. We believe that if we're positive, you know, um, people will be willing to listen to us and then work with us and continue to do more and more. We are not activists and we don't want to attack people for not being perfect because we're not perfect ourselves. It's a learning process and um, it's all about how much we all can do little by little, changing one habit at a time. And it's better to have millions of people imperfectly trying to do something to help rather than a handful of people being you know, perfectly zero waste. And we also emphasize that it's a choice we can all make. And when we're aware of the problem, which is what we you know, are trying to do is to spread awareness, then we can make better choices. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. When, when you tried to develop a plan for EcoDrive, are there any challenges that you encountered? Maybe like people were resistant to the idea of like recycling or like psychological barriers or anything like that? Um, I think the biggest challenge is the culture and the need for speed in Hong Kong. Everybody's used to convenience and having things done very quickly. For example, you know, a lot of places don't accept your own container when you bring it because then they have to break up their little routine of all their takeout stuff, you know, set up already and scooped in the boxes. Um, You know, one person has to get out of the line and bring it back to the kitchen and pack it and bring it back to you. And I think um, not that many people in Hong Kong drive. So it's not easy to always bring your own bottle, mug, container. Um... It's just the culture here, which just makes it a little a little more difficult. Difficult, and, and also the pandemic has caused you know a huge increase in disposable products, whether it be food related or even masks. So that's why we had um, a mask campaign as well. You know, if possible, use reusable masks. We're not saying it replaced medical masks, but if you're walking your dog or you know you're just going out of your building to go into your car and then go into another building to visit your mom then um you know that is those are situations where you can use reusable instead of using a disposable mask so i think it's just trying to get hong kong people to slow down and maybe think that's the first r we actually always tell people rethink 
rethink about what you're doing or what you're going to do. And if you take a step to, you know, a pause to think about it, then maybe you can make a better choice in planning for what you're going to do. Okay, so as Jennifer has just said, let's pause and really try to think of it for a second. If we're being real here, Hong Kong is a pretty stressful city to live in. And once we get busy, we don't even remember what we had for lunch yesterday. However, I think it's a process of forming habits that can substitute current disposable ones. Let's say, always leaving a mask by the door when you come in and out of the house is like already knowing you have cash or money in your bag when you leave. Once that habit is formed, it becomes a part of your daily routine. It's like you never experience anything different. And I think that's why it's so powerful. Now back to the conversation. Yeah, so we've talked a lot about um, having individuals change their mindsets in terms of how they consume different products. But when we talk about plastic pollution, like even though individual actions collectively make a large difference, it's still really difficult to influence each individual in such a large scale um, crisis. So to what extent does this blame for plastic pollution fall on consumers? And to what extent does this fall on producers? Um, Well, it's human nature that, you know, all parties would like to have the cost of solving plastic pollution fall on somebody else, or as you said, blame someone else to be responsible. But in reality, every single person does have a social responsibility to protect this earth. And every single person should do their part. If everybody thought did think that way, then the three main groups that we could categorize people involved in the plastic pollution situation would, I guess, act differently. So for example, producers. Produce, if, they, if producers felt that way, they would create products that are more sustainable and they would try to recover as much as they could. That's why in Hong Kong, there's a group called Drink Without Waste that we're a part of. It's a working group that's composed of beverage producers, distributors, retailers, and NGOs trying to create a circular economy in Hong Kong. The second group is consumers, as you said, the burden or the responsibilities shouldn't simply fall on individuals, but we do encourage individuals and we do try to educate individuals that the five R's, the first one being the one I previously mentioned, rethink and reuse, reduce, refuse. And the last option that we always tell people is recycle when necessary, um, because recycling alone is also you know, a very, unenvironmentally friendly option with all the natural resources it uses. We try to work with as many individuals uh, with our public campaign, but also with companies, schools, community groups to spread awareness that we also do have the responsibility if you're going to go you know, out, bring your own, or like you said, you, know, you can reuse it or you can refuse the straw. And the third party involved in this is the government. We are trying to work with the government. You know, we're invited to a lot of working meetings as well. And we're hoping that the Hong Kong government could enforce more policies and create a system that assists in facilitating producers and consumers, which is why a few years ago, uh, we supported the municipal waste scheme, the uh, MWS. I'm not sure if you know about this scheme, but it just passed last week, finally, after a few years of trying to uh, encourage LegCo to pass this bill. But basically, people in Hong Kong are not now going to have to pay for their garbage. 
So you can't just have bags and bags of garbage and dump it on the street bin every night, you know, from your home. You're actually going to have to start paying. If you start paying, then people are going to pay attention to what they're putting into it because the more garbage you have, the more you're going to have to pay. So if you start separating the food waste, separating all the things that can be recycled, you won't have a lot of garbage left that's eventually then going to go to the landfills. This, the other bill that we support, we really hope that all of you can support as well. Uh, it's called the RDPT, Regulation of Disposable Plastic Wear. By 2025, the Hong Kong government actually wants to um, start a new regulation that requires all FMB to not provide any plastic tableware, containers, bags, utensils, anything. The more individuals and the more groups that can go online and fill out this survey, the more the government will see that this is what the people want as well, and it will help pass the bill. So as I said in the beginning, um, as a response to this question is that all three parties are responsible and we should all work together to solve this problem. Yeah, I think that's amazing that like you guys played such a large role in making this policy like implemented. Um, sometimes I do fear though, with some environmental policies, it could indirectly target those that are like, for example, less fortunate, like linking back to the idea of like privilege and everything. Like sometimes, for example, like this policy, do you think could in a sense be sort of like regressive where it targets like low income households? And how do you think we should overcome this with this policy? Uh, the, the government has definitely considered this and um, there are large residential housing estates that actually have free recycling collection. They don't have to pay for it. So um, I don't think they're ignoring the fact that it might be difficult for some people to pay, but they definitely have some subsidies as well for maybe smaller, uh, as the second bill I talked about, the FNB, we also encourage the government to not just pass this bill without considering, you know, maybe some smaller FNB that are just a mom and pop shop and not a large chain that may not be able to afford a non-plastic utensils that probably cost five times more than plastic. So there's definitely going to be support and sub subsidies provided in order to um, get this whole thing going. I really like the idea of having all stakeholders be included in this process of like policy making because ultimately like we fight for the environment for like human rights and like social social justice so mm -hmm. by encompassing everything together and like you know making sure that those that are vulnerable are also protected in the equation of like protecting the environment I think that's mm -hmm. how policy should be driven by yeah so back to the topic of policy seeing that we already have say like a surcharge for let's say if you go to like Balcom so you need to pay like 50 cents, $1 for a plastic bag. Do you think it's possible to have like the same thing but apply it to plastic bottle? Or do you think it's already pretty like inelastic so people will buy them anyway? Um, people will buy them anyway because of the convenience and because majority of people aren't used to bringing their own. Um, but that's one of the things that um, the group I mentioned, Drink Without Waste, is discussing. They actually just made a proposal to the government that they want to, because as I said, the group is com uh, composed of the actual beverage producers and the distributors and the retailers. So we actually just made a proposal to the government 
but some of us are not agreeing on the amount of the deposit that, um, you know, some people say, well, five cents on a plastic, you know, five cents only on a plastic bottle is not going to make a difference. Some of us who are more aggressive is saying, well, put a heavier deposit amount. So people will want to either not buy it or feel like they do need to recycle it in order to get their deposit back. So this is definitely in motion as well in Hong Kong. Hopefully, if we can agree on the deposit amount, then this is going to happen soon as well, that plastic bottle drinks will have an um, extra deposit levy on it. Cool. So I think we can come to an end on this. But our last question is, do you have any advice for the youth or any other nonprofits or any education and community outreach initiatives that you hope to implement? Uh, yeah, my advice would be to never underestimate your power to influence others, because that's exactly what we did as a group of 11 mo mothers to begin with. We influence people every day just by leading by example. Don't give up just thinking that you're just one person. Talk to more people about it. Make the issue be known. And most of all, don't estimate how strong and powerful your voice is as youth. Witnessed it through Greta Thurberg. Uh, we witnessed through a six-year-old girl in the UK who wrote a letter to the CEO of Pizza Express, who was so moved by her cute little letter that he removed plastic straws globally. And um, I mean, even your group ditto was so impressive on all the things you've done on your school campus to get rid of single-use plastics and the, uh, the drink carton initiative. And the two of you just hosting this podcast is so amazing that you're using your voice to spread your views and to influence so many people around you. And I hope you keep doing what you're doing and we fully support you in any way. <laughs> Thank you so much. Mm. Um, if anything that you look forward to in terms of like future projects for EcoDrive or anything that you wanna um, tell the public about? <laughs> Well, I look forward to a lot of things because now that the wheels are in motion with what we're doing, you know, we are having companies, celebrities, um, you know, groups approach us because they want to work with us to, to help further spread this initiative. So we're looking forward to that, although I cannot share <laughs> what they are. It's, it's exciting and it's rewarding and it's exhausting, but it's worth it. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for your time today, Jennifer. And thank you for Sustainapod listeners for tuning in this week with a conversation with Jennifer from EcoDrive. We'd love to hear back from you about this episode, so do let us know about your comments or questions by messaging us on Instagram, sustainapod underscore GIH, or email us at sustainapod at gmail.com. See you next time.